Dollars and Hops podcast, where we help you optimize your financial future. Here are your hosts, Scott and Lance. Welcome back to the Dollars and Hops podcast. We are excited you've joined us here. My name is Lance. I'm your host, and I'm joined by my man, my brother, from another scouter up in Charm City. What's up, brother? My co-host. How you doing, man? What's what's new? What's going on? I had a tree fall in my backyard, Lance. Yikes. $5,000 of damage. Can't You can't make this up, man. I guess that's why we have the emergency. That's why we just did the emergency fund episode. It was, it was right on cue. It's like we knew it was coming. Yeah, I had to just, just make sure that, you're, that, that you're, just, you're living out what we preach, I guess. I, yeah. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thank goodness we have the emergency. Uh, I'm today glad we're going to be. No, nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. Just I your mean, fence. Yeah. 10 panels of fencing. But that's it. Dogs okay. are good. Dogs are fine. Dogs are good. House is good. Just got to repair some divots in the yard. You know, all that stuff. Some, some fencing. But it's like in the great words of Forrest Gump, that's one less thing to worry about, you know? No you don't have to worry about that tree anymore. That tree is gone. Yeah, that tree is gone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Lance. So today on uh, today on the show, we're going to be hitting on inflation. I think this is kind of top of mind everywhere right now. I feel like I can't turn on a podcast, can't turn on the TV, can't turn on anything mm-hmm. without hearing about inflation. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about how it relates to you and your personal finances. Uh, if you've been out there trying to buy a house, if, uh, we're, we're going to give our thoughts on on kind of yeah. all of this and, and how to protect yourself from inflation as best as possible. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, each and every episode, Lance and I will sip on a craft beer. Um, we put them head to head at the very end, establish a victor. It's our way of having a little bit of fun on this podcast. So Lance, what are you drinking this evening? This this one's a treat for me. Uh, this is actually one of my go-to pumpkin beers each and every fall season. And I've had this one in my fridge for a while and stocked it away for the podcast and just never got around to pulling it out for a new episode we were doing, you know, like a fresh new episode. And then tonight, Scott, I was just like, tonight's the night, you know? It's it's not too late for a pumpkin. It's, it's not too late for a pumpkin no. beer. That's that's the whole case I'm trying to make here. It's not too late for pumpkin beer. It's still we're getting still some near kind of you know in the 40s at night and you know it gets really cold here still in February in Charleston and you know I'm I'm fine drinking a pumpkin. In fact, just took a first sip of this one and I'm I'm pumped that I pulled it out. So I'm gonna be sipping on the uh, this is the Shipyard Brewing Company out of Rochester, New York. Scott, you ever been to Rochester? I can't say I have. I have. Good people in Rochester. Great people in Rochester, New York. Uh, and this is the pumpkin head uh, pumpkin ale. And I'm excited to uh, review here on the podcast tonight. Scott, what are you sipping on? This one comes from Attaboy Beer out of Frederick, Maryland. I think this is their second time on the pod, I want to say. This is called Boss of the World. Shockingly, it's a double New England hazy IPA. I just hey, I just picked a random idea. one out of the cupboard. It just happened to be a hazy, Lance. I mean, what am I going to do? How about that? So, yeah, what are the odds in that? I wonder. 
wonder what the odds of a hazy IPA in your cupboard are. Ninety-seven percent or so. Ninety-seven. <laughs> Boss of the world. I, I like that. That's a that's a pretty bold name. Yeah, it is. I, I'm. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's gonna be good. It's it's Attaboy. Attaboy doesn't mess around. These guys know what they're doing. All right, Lance. Attaboy. Let's get into the headline of the week. Making a comeback here. Half of Americans with retirement accounts have taken an early withdrawal. This comes from CNBC. Um, and according to a bank rate survey, approximately 51% of people have dipped into their retirement accounts at some point. 20% of people uh, who did during the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, so that's pretty astonishing in and of itself. You got at least half no doubt of all people that have had a retirement account at, at any point have dipped into it right mm. why is that a bad thing or is that a bad thing oh it's definitely a bad thing in your you opinion. don't touch your retirement yeah, I, mean, account. I, know, I know that it's like yes yeah. it's, it's mm. like cardinal mm. sin true you know? um it is but why why would that be the case so number one is uncle sam he don't like it when you touch your retirement account so if you do touch your retirement account, you have to remember the money that's in your retirement account, generally speaking, is going to be uh, pre-tax. So you did not get taxed on the money when you put the money into your retirement account. So guess what? When you take the money out, you're going to get taxed at ordinary income tax rate plus a 10% penalty. So Yikes. depending on what tax bracket you're in, that could be anywhere from a 20% to a 50% tax bill for you on this money, which could be pretty significant. And no question. And let's talk about the long-term impacts. So that's what I care oh, about. That's what I really care about. Right. 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 So, you know, you get taxed, uh, you know, you take the money out, you're going to get taxed 20 to 50%. That's already a dagger. Uh, but let's talk about the real dagger. Okay. Let's say you're 35 years old. You just want to take mm, out. I just turned 35 years old. Yeah. We know? just so happen yeah, to turn go. 35. So <laughs> I like that number. That's right. I like that number. Then. So I just said. Good number. Yeah, let's just yeah. say we're 35. We need 20 grand, right? So take out 20 grand, which might only be, I don't know, 10 grand after the government gets their money or their hands on it. But that 20 mm -hmm. grand, if you were to leave it in there until age 65, and you were just to get standard S and P five hundred returns, which is about ten percent. That twenty grand is really worth three hundred and fifty grand at sixty five. Wow! So that's what we're talking about. You take twenty grand out just of your just the time. twenty grand. Just the twenty grand is worth three fifty at ten percent per year compounded growth rate. Exactly. So that is what I'm. So mm. I feel like everybody talks about. Oh, you know, you're getting taxed, and and that's the negative drawback. It's really the compounding over time that is really taking its its hit on uh, your financial future. So think twice yeah. about about rating your retirement account. No, really. I think it's just one more illustration to put in the bag for just how much compound interest affects all of us over time, whether you know it or whether you don't know it. It's affecting all of us over time. You know, are you taking advantage of it or is it taking advantage of you over time? I think that's that's really the question that we get to take away from that article. Man, good one, man. A thinker for sure. 
Yep, no doubt. All right, Lance, let's go ahead and jump right into inflation. That is Yikes. the topic today. It's been a little been a little um rocky, a little crazy. It's been a little I don't know, man, like hectic. I I just felt like before we even kind of get into the topic and what is inflation and how we've been feeling it, I feel like man, I can't I can't get away from it. It's everywhere. And the latest numbers from January 22, um, you know, we're recording this in February of 2022, but the January numbers, I was just looking them up, were like, you know, 7.5% or something. Yeah. Which is the highest year over year inflation rate that we've seen in over 40 years. Yeah. In, in our, in our lifetimes. Yeah. We, we, in never our lifetime seen for sure. Like this. Yeah. Right, right. What what normal? What's normal inflation? It's like it's like two, two and a half percent. Two to three percent. Yeah, two to three percent. I think is is kind of standard. And what we kind of talk about when you're planning for your future and thinking about what inflation can do to you over over the long term, we kind of account for two to three percent on average year over year. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the seven is okay. I think it's. We'll talk more about this. And should we be panicking um, when one you know one year year over year is showing at seven and a half percent. Is that a reason to panic and, and throw the brakes down and pull everything out and do something crazy? Like uh, spoiler alert. No, that's, it's, it's not a reason to panic, but it is, it is important to understand what's going on. Why is it happening? Where is it happening? And what can we do about it? Which is what we're going to talk about, I think tonight yep. and why we want to talk about it tonight. Yeah. So Lance, Let's let's define what it is for for anybody that does not know what inflation is. It is essentially just the decline of purchasing power over time. So the way I like to think about that is um, there are goods and services that we all spend our money on. I like to think of, about the grocery store analogy, right? You mm. go to the grocery store, you get some milk, you get some bread, you get some toilet paper, you get all your necessities, Right. They call it a basket of goods. Right? If you're in my house, you order, you know, six dozen eggs a week. It's no big deal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just part of yeah. So of that, life. that's in your basket of goods, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, you know, you take that basket of goods and you track it over time, and uh, as the cost of those goods go up, that is a decrease in purchasing power. So the the mm. amount of money that it costs for those goods goes up, which means your dollars are going down. That is that is what inflation is. And a normal amount of inflation, like Lance said, two to three percent on average annually. Um in in really heck 2021, um 2020, 2019, like like the last seven, eight years, inflation's been really low. I think it's been lower than average. What's it been at about? Are you, are you looking at something right now? You can. So I I was looking it up. Um, I I was seeing some some numbers in the one percent uh, oh, range. Wow. That, and that we actually makes even... more sense. I feel like for years and years, I almost like wondered. I was like, is inflation just like a made up thing? Like, is it just like you're not even real? <laughs> well, and... they were talking about deflationary environment. Where, yeah, where right. you're... that's right. Yeah, yeah. So and and the Fed was you know. What would that mean if it was a deflationary environment? It would mean that your the dollar is becoming stronger and it takes less dollars to buy that basket of goods. So prices are going down. So maybe a, a cash position or or a cash a cash rich person who has a lot of assets and 
especially liquid assets would be in a stronger position as time goes on be, right. in a deflationary yes. environment. Yep. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is the opposite of what we are now kind of facing, experiencing. And there's a whole lot of reasons why that is the case. And certain areas in our economy are seeing higher inflation rates than others. This is not just like a, a broad swath right. across every market. Uh, you know, that is just a seven and a half percent, you know, flat rate over everything is more now seven and a half percent more expensive. Your dollar seven and a half percent less powerful. Uh, it's not quite like that, right? Yeah, it's definitely not. And um, yeah, there's sure. I mean, gosh, you go fill up your gas tank. I don't know. It's probably up 40 percent in, in a year. Or right. So. We're, yeah, we're not yeah, talking exactly. about 7% right. there. It, it varies by kind of industry and what it is that you're buying. And the, the, the government and the Fed is kind of looking at this and saying, well, how much of this is transitory? And transitory gets thrown out mm-hmm. a million times. I hate the word transitory because it, <laughs> it sounds like so, I don't know, geeky in my opinion. What, what transitory to me sounds like um, tourism. <laughs> tourism is kind of like, where, like I'll, I'll just share a quick, a quick story here. Like when we, like, I'm serious. So, you know, when we were looking at, um, I think many of you know our story, my family story, like we were a part of like moving down to Charleston, South Carolina to, to help start a church. And we were looking at different places. And the idea was like, well, do we want to go to Charleston or like any other place that's like heavy in tourism? Because it could be a transitory place. Uh, it could be a place that's yeah. more transitory. Yeah. And and so in my mind, I always thought tra- the word transitory over the past decade of my life has always meant like people who kind of move in and move out, you know, and it's kind of here for a little while and then it's gone. And so I, I, I you know, that's the, the true definition of the word. Right. And so the idea being that maybe this inflation thing, this accelerated inflation is just transitory and we're only going to experience this inflation for a little while. Right. And then it'll all go back to normal and everybody's fine. Nobody freak out. Like all of the cost of our goods will go right back down to where we thought they would be. And the, the power of our dollar will, will rise again into where it was. It's transitory, right, Scott? Yeah, I'd say I'd say not so fast. So at first, uh, what we were hearing probably four or five months ago was, oh, this is probably transitory. Uh, Even six, seven months ago, we were hearing that it's probably transitory. And and, and transitory just basically means uh, it's not permanent. Right. Um, So um, and I think I think some of it is definitely transitory in, in that we obviously have these supply chain challenges where uh, ships can't get to port and goods and services can't be delivered when they are supposed to be. Uh, and once the economy kind of rebounds and uh, people are able to freely exchange goods and services without um, all of the issues around surrounding COVID, um, mm-hmm. uh, once those things kind of go away, I feel like, some of the inflation will go away, uh, right? It's a supply and demand thing. And mm-hmm. and obviously, if the supply is not there and the demand is still there, well, prices are going to increase because of that. It's just right. a supply and demand uh, well, function. And not only that, but the, the cost of goods sold, right? From from a from an economics or accounting perspective, 
like the cost of processing your eggs for my six dozen eggs a week that my family goes through. Yes, my, my <laughs> boys, they I'm telling you, man, they love some scrambled eggs. And, you know, that's this is what we need to buy. The, the cost of eggs is going up, right, along with everything else. Well, so is the cost of labor and the cost of packaging and the cost of the goods that are right. sold from the egg producers, the farmers who are, who are packaging and producing these eggs, selling them to the grocery stores. And so that's, that's part of the reason why the costs are going up. And so do you really think, in thinking about this in, in transitory terms, that the prices are going to come back down? Like, is that? Most likely not. Right. Right, and I think yeah, that's, most likely not. Once those prices have been raised, I I feel like it's it's unlikely that they would come down. Right, um, unless it, uh, an insane amount of supply came came online. Um, right. I mean, we've seen it in the in, in the car market, right? Try to buy a car right yeah, the now. Car market's <laughs> just luck. beyond. Yeah, it's beyond. That's a whole. <laughs> Try to episode. buy a house, that's Lance. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is, yeah, no, no doubt. So um, we we've talked about in prior episodes of Scott kind of venturing into the short term rental space um, in real estate investing, and he's put the bug in my ear, and I've been looking, and he's kind of convinced me that you know I need to start looking at this, and and so it's all my fault. It, Lance. it is Scott's fault. It's completely Scott's <laughs> fault, and I, I blame him for everything. Uh, and and and, and I, I've gotten the bug, and I'm like, man, I, this this sounds really cool, and. I want to look and man, I'm going to tell you, I've been looking and it has been, it's basically a war zone out there, Scotter. And I am, uh, I've been, it I've, has been, been, a I've war been a casualty a couple of times here. Uh, I, yeah, you, you might as well be dead at this I, point. I, <laughs> I think I'm about to <laughs> pack up, take my ball and go home. I don't know, you know, straight up Sandlot style. I don't know, man. It's like, um, it's just it's it's brutal out there and there's stuff going for 50 60 75 over asking and it's just like man this is it, it how long can this last you know it, is this our new normal and 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 i think you know at the heart of that question is like is this transitory right like is this gonna like go back to some sort of normal and, and i think that there's a part of our economy that, that will decelerate and it will go back to a sort of normal inflation, you know, as, as things balance out from COVID kind of resolving and, and kind of dying back down, hopefully, um, to a 2 to 3% inflation. But I think there's, uh, there's other ways in which in the housing realm, specifically in real estate, that this is not a bubble. You know, this is not something that's going to just crash and like in 08, 09. Where we had the the Great Recession, as we call it, right, and and then then yeah. there were all these foreclosures and bankruptcies, and there was all kinds of property that was on sale, and a bunch of people who were going through really hard times. This is not the same thing, and I think a probably probably a more educated guess on where we are now is that real estate is not going to decrease in price, but it might decelerate in the prices that it's growing at it, it might do that it, it might plateau at some point but i don't think anyone yeah. who i'm listening to or reading about pre is predicting a a bubble bursting or uh, real estate prices to dramatically drop in the near future it's more about like it might flatten out at some point but it's only going to keep increasing 
And I, I don't say that to to scare people. If you don't own a primary residence and you don't own a home, and like, oh my gosh, I got to go buy right now, and like, it, it's not meant to be a, a a fear tactic or anything. But it is important for all of us to know that like, none of the experts really believe that this is something that's going to just like prices will quote unquote correct and come down to make it affordable for everybody to now buy. It, it's it's not quite that kind of market, Scott. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. So like. When you go back to 08, 09, they were writing 40-year mortgages, 50-year mortgages. Is that right? Yeah. Look look up like Countrywide. Look at what they were doing. Oh, my God. They were doing some crazy stuff. I think think they had had a 50-year fixed rate mortgage. They had interest-only mortgages were like somewhat standard back then, right? I mean, you had a huge percentage of the population that were literally taking out mortgages paying the interest only for the purposes of essentially refinancing into a fixed rate at a later date, because of course your house is going to go up in value. Right. So that, that was what we call speculation. People did not have 20% to put down. Uh, People were uh, just doing anything that they could to, to get into a house because they just, they knew it was going to appreciate, which obviously proved not to be true. Um, this market is extremely different, Lance. Mm. There are cash buyers. Like, a lot of these houses are selling for all cash or 20% down or more, right? So these are well-qualified buyers coming into the market, driving up the price of homes, and they're people that can pay for the for the houses at the end of the day. So a lot of these... You know, a lot of the things that happened in 08, 09, I feel like the financial industry has learned from. They have much stricter regulations. They're not writing the same sorts of loans that they did back then. And last year, so from October 2020 to October of 2021, houses went up in value by 18%. (laughs) 18%. And normally, Mm. a house will generally increase by about the rate of inflation. That's pretty normal. Right. So, so two to three percent normally, and given the current situation, maybe we might expect seven percent to keep pace with inflation year over year. But, but there's other factors that you're are playing saying, into this. But you're saying it was eighteen percent. It was eighteen percent last year, which is year. more than which is more than double the rate of inflation that we just experienced in January year over year. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things that are going on here. One of one of which I, I just found this uh, Lance on the National Associations of Realtors website, and it talks about basically supply of housing, right, in various markets, mm. and they have a map that you can go to online. We'll link to it in the show notes. I thought it was extremely interesting. But there's certain states where there's only one new housing permit issued for every eleven new jobs. That's in New York and New Jersey right now. So basically, there's 11 new jobs or one new housing permit. So they're just not producing homes at a fast enough clip to keep up. That's not. Wait, wait. Let me understand. You're not saying that's a government regulation. That's just what that is. is, Yeah, that that is what it is right now. But you have to think about, like, think about that. Like that, in and of itself, if that if that keeps on for any period of time, I mean, housing prices are going to go through the. that's insane. Yeah. So, so you have 11 people moving to, or, or, or who already live there who are vying for a job. 
and there's only one new house for those 11 correct. people. Correct. That they that they can move into. And so where And I think go? that that's but extreme. Like, like I, you know, I looked at I looked right. up on the map and it was like New York, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, they were all like 11. 11 to 1, which is crazy. Philadelphia. Pittsburgh. Uh the the Philadelphia and surrounding areas, one permit for every four jobs. Maryland, one permit for every three jobs. Um I looked up your your city Lance Charleston, South Carolina, one permit for every two mm-hmm. jobs. So I feel like the growth rates might be different in different markets. But even if it's one mm-hmm. permit for every two jobs, that's going to drive up the price of homes in and of itself. No question. And I, I think the the housing supply demand curve has just been really interesting over the over the years. I, I remember looking at um <laughs> well even right now where I live in Charleston, a suburban area of Charleston. I mean, there are trees going down. There are bulldozers working every day. There are new, not lots, not neighborhoods. I'm talking like massive neighborhoods and apartment complexes being built all the time. And it's just interesting. I think just looking at that, I've always been like, how, how is this like possible? Like how, how, are, how are we just continuing to build, build, build? And then I listened to the reports and I listened to the podcasts I listen to and, and read the articles about the severe housing shortage that we have based on demand. And that's why, right? Because we, we don't have nearly enough housing units to supply for the growth that are in like the different growth areas of the United States. And it, it's hard to talk about the real estate market on a broad spectrum across the entire USA. Right, because it's really a localized thing. Like it, 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 right. it differs so much from New York City to New Jersey to Philadelphia to Maryland to Charleston to Idaho, Arkansas, Alabama. Like, yeah, I, I like agree. These are completely different markets based on the job opportunities that are available, based on the housing units that are available, the prices, the cost of living. Right, like how much a, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house would cost? Fifteen hundred square feet. Let's just say single-family home. Like that particular housing unit is going to be drastically different in all of those markets I just mentioned. And so, to even talk about the USA, the whole United States housing market on a whole is kind of like a, I don't know. It's it's it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it doesn't even like. It's just so localized and it's so regionalized. Yeah, I, I I agree. But even seeing that that eighteen percent statistic from year over year is crazy. <laughs> and I know that there's markets where they that's, went up forty percent or whatever, and there's yeah. markets that they didn't go up at all. But yeah, right. Just seeing like the average at eighteen percent is 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 completely insane. So so yeah, so so go over that one more time. You're saying the average across the entire U.S. was eighteen percent year over year. Yeah. of of a housing yeah, so like whatever your house is worth, yeah, you know, if it was whatever it was worth, and you know, if it was worth a hundred thousand dollars in October of twenty twenty, um, it's now worth one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars as of October twenty twenty one. And heck, by now, I, I mean, geez, we're we're four months away from that. I mean, geez, it might be up another twenty percent by now. I have That's no right. idea with the market the way it is. <laughs> it's a little bit of the uh, hockey stick. It feels like maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so maybe. We'll- so, like, I feel like the only thing that can really slow this down the price appreciation train is interest rates, Lance. Mm-hmm. 
So as talk to me about that. So so as interest rates rise, right? The the Fed is is raising interest rates, and as those interest rates rise, it basically makes the cost of money more and more, right? And it decreases affordability, right? So we've had low low interest rates for a long period of time. The Fed is starting to raise rates. They've indicated that they're going to continue to raise rates. And as they continue to raise rates, it basically means that as you borrow money for a home, a car, whatever the case might be, that you're going to have to pay more in interest on that money. So to me, the only way that this housing market cools down is interest rates. Right. If they raise rate rates a significant amount, I feel like it, it has to have an impact on home prices. Uh, well, I agree. And, and I think the reason we are talking about real estate so much in this episode about inflation is because of the statistics we've, we've kind of you know, spouted off here about the 18% especially. That, that one sticks out to me. But it's also the largest purchase that a lot of us make you know, over our lifetimes. And so, right. and so most of us are borrowing right, in the form of a mortgage to purchase that at an interest rate like Scott's talking about. And if those interest rates are going up over time, like then you can afford less house. And so what Scott's saying, I believe is correct also that like over time, this will balance out. And that's why the Federal Reserve has the ability to pull that lever to try to, you know, balance out the the economy from getting too hot on how it's growing. Um to, to balance things out with with setting the interest rate at a at a more healthy level. I don't know if it's fair to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. So so we've talked a lot about inflation and how how wonderful it is, right? <laughs> Let's talk about how 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 can we actually protect ourselves from inflation, Lance. What do what do the listeners need to do? They've heard about how how terrible inflation is. What what can we actually do as as consumers, as investors, for our personal finances to protect ourselves from inflation? It's a really good question, and I think it, it is the right question. I think inflation, you know, from how we understand it, it affects all of us. It affects. Anyone who's listening to this podcast, it, it affects, you know, every single one of us. However, it affects some people more than other people. And I, I really, I, I, it affects people who are retired, who don't have an income. And it, it affects people who have lower incomes and who don't have a, a very high net worth, who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are, who are not intentional about building net worth, who are not intentional about growing income and people who are just who who are just in a bad spot maybe it maybe it's out of their control completely inflation affects all of those people way more than uh, than other people so it's important to point that out that people who are already living on the edge and living paycheck to paycheck once you have a 7% inflation number like they are living way more way it's more on the you. edge it's, it's killing, killing them you. man even if you get a even if you get a one percent two percent raise at work, yeah, you are losing exactly. money. And, and I think that's important for all of us to understand and know, just to be aware of people in your own life who might be struggling, and ways we can we can be watchful and be on the lookout and and be helping people when they're in need. But you know, to answer the specific question of how do we protect ourselves from inflation, you know, there in my mind, there's really 
there's really two areas to invest long term that will keep pace or beat inflation. And we've talked about this several times, but it's going to be stocks, which are equities, mutual funds, index funds. You know, we talk about those all the time on the on this podcast, basically the stock market in a diversified manner, investing for the long term, not for a year or two, not necessarily just in single stocks, not crypto. We're talking the stock market, large swaths of the stock market, uh, lots of companies, the S&P 500 index fund, companies that are for profit, that are making profit over time, investing in those companies because they're raising their prices along with inflation as, as their cost of goods sold go up over time as well. The other is real estate. And to actually own real estate in the long run will benefit you long term for your primary residence and also as a rental property if you are interested in being a landlord and managing that. If you're not interested in that, I would say, you know, forego that altogether and have a goal to own your primary residence, but then just invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, index funds. In fact, I wouldn't even say invest in bonds. Stocks, mutual funds, index funds are where I would suggest investing. Um, And then finally, I think the most important thing is to when you're watching the news, reading articles, listening to podcasts and and maybe social media platforms, wherever you're spending your time to not panic because there are there are so many different media channels out there that are literally incentivized and paid to make you to panic. Make you panic. That's what they, that's to what make they you want panic. to do. Yeah, it's like that's what <laughs> that's like what people click on. It's it's clickbait. <laughs> it's clickbait. It's like it's like that's how they make their money, right? And so we have to be even more on guard as consumers, as individuals, to realize that like the economy does have cycles, and long term we still believe in the United States economy, and even if there's high inflationary numbers right now. It doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever, and it will balance out. It will plateau. Stay the course. Don't tap your retirement accounts, and have a strategy, a system for investing that is your long-term plan. I, I think that's that's my best advice. I don't know, Scott. What do you have to add to that? No, I think you're I think you're you're you're, you're spot on. I mean, you go back to that example where you got there's certain people that don't that that are not invested. Their idea of investing is sticking the money under their mattress or sticking it in a savings account. And you just have to remember that they're losing buying power so much more than than you are by staying invested, right? So you you just think about it, right? You have have inflation at 7.5% or whatever it is, and the average return in the stock market is 10%, right? So you're beating inflation essentially by roughly two and a half percent on average in the average year uh, by staying invested. That's the way to protect yourself. Scott, we're going to move on to uh, questions that need answers. And that's actually a great segue into our uh, first question tonight by longtime listener, loyal podcaster, my good buddy, John Schumacher fellow coworker in in the band um that's a it's a bad pun but um john right john writes in and and he says uh he, he writes <laughs> this in scott for you i think i agree with you that retirement is a number 
and not an age. With that idea in mind, how have the recent crazy inflation rates affected your number? How do I calculate my number when it seems like a moving target? Scott, help my boy John out. What you got? John, this is a fantastic question that I feel like I, I love I love these sorts of questions. And and I feel like we would normally cover something like this. And I, I think we have I think you nailed it, man. This 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 could have been a whole topic. So I love I love this yeah, question. No doubt. And it, it it really boils down to uh what is the average inflation rate, right? So um let's just say so so in my mind, when you're calculating what you need for retirement, you need to come up with a with a number, a, a annual salary essentially that you need to live off of in today's dollars. Okay. And then we're going to work towards the actual future dollars that you're going to need. So what I do is let's just say you want $100,000 in retirement when you go to retire. We know that $100,000 in today's dollars is not what it was three to four years ago. Um, so what, what you need to do is you need to adjust for inflation. So I go to my handy dandy compound interest calculator online. And I essentially put in the $100,000 that I want in retirement on an annual basis, and I um, adjust for inflation. So let's say, let's say you want the $100,000 in, in, 15, in, in 15 years. So you want to know how much that $100,000 needs to be in 15 years to essentially get the same buying power. You could put the $100,000 in, you adjust for inflation, which I would use 3%. 3% is a, is a pretty average inflation rate. I know we're higher right now, but let's just say it's average. It averages out to about 3%. That's what history has told us it is typically. And right. if you do that and you put in the number of years until you're going to retire, that'll tell you how much money you actually need uh, in annual income in retirement. So I went ahead and did that. So based on $100,000, 15 years from now, $100,000 in buying power in today's dollars is going to be $155,796 in 15 years. <laughs> and then the next thing we do is we take our 4% rule. So we divide that number by 4%, and that'll tell us exactly how much money we need in order to retire in those 15 years. So in this example... You need $3.9 million to be able to withdraw safely $156,000 in retirement. Which is, which is 4% of that It's 4% of number. that larger number. And you can adjust that number for inflation. If you listen to our, our uh, 4% rule episode, you'll know that you can adjust that $156,000 number for inflation every year. And your buying power should never decrease. So in my mind, I know that's a lot. You might have to rewind a couple times, listen to it again. But basically, just go go to yeah. a compound interest calculator, figure out how many years until retirement, and put in today's dollars and um, the inflation rate, the average inflation rate, and it'll tell you exactly what you need on an annual basis. It's a really good systematic approach to that question. I love the way you answered that, thinking about how to back into that number. And when you get that $3 million-plus number, you know, 30, 40 years from now, 
it can sound like a lot of money, but once inflation kind of takes its toll, it's it's really not quite as much as you might think today, for sure. We know that. But also that 4% rule is kind of like you can take this much money, 4% per year, that 155000 or whatever it was, and you will never run out, which means you know, th- there will be years that it makes 10, 12, 15%, and you're only taking four. And so really th- there's, a, there's a large buffer there is kind of what I want to kind of get at in, in my mind. Right. It's not, it's, it's a, it's the 4% rule, you know, yeah. has been te- back tested and basically yeah. what it, it makes it 99.9% of the time or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And it, it's really, it's really about like the, the question with the 4% rule. And, and I think it's, it's good, but it's also, I think just, it's helpful to be aware of what it was really, really designed for was all about like, will I run out of money? That's right. the question, right? For the, for people who are retiring and, and, and afraid rightfully so of like, I can't really get an income again because I'm old now, like I could before. And am I going to, am I okay to retire? Am I going to run out of money? The 4% rule says like at this rate, you should be good to go. Right. So anyway, John, John love, love that question because I feel like I, I, I in my brain, that's, I've had the exact same question probably, I don't know. 80 times. And, uh, I, I feel like I feel the same way. I feel like it's a, it's a moving target. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of tough to know the exact number unless you know exactly when you want to retire. Anyway, Lance, uh, I do have a question for you. This one comes in from Eric. He says, because of the pandemic, I've been working from home instead of in an office. Are there any tax benefits that I can take advantage of. I got a quick one here. Uh, bottom line, if you're even asking this question, Eric, it's going to be, uh, you need to hire a tax professional. And that's, that's basically the end of the question. It's like, like, like if you're even asking this man, it's like, you need to hire a CPA. You need to figure this out, uh, officially and not take it from a podcast. Uh, some guy in his little home studio, but, uh, you know, I think a couple helpful <laughs> things would be give yourself anyway. some credit. <laughs> if if you have a W two job where it's a full time gig and you're working for somebody else, uh, you likely don't have a great case to have uh, tax deductible items, um, especially if you're taking the standard deduction and how all that works. Um, but if you if you own your own business, if you uh, are, you know, th- th- there's a few other kind of caveats to that, that it might actually benefit you. And again, it's just everyone's situation is so unique. There are so many variables in- involved. Uh, this is really the time where it's like you need to hire a tax professional and pay somebody the few hundred dollars or whatever it is to take a look at your whole situation and make sure you are being as efficient as possible and still being legal and fulfilling all your requirements as a taxpayer citizen. So that that's how I would suggest you uh, approach this higher CPA, man, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even say anything. I, I have a CPA. Lance has a CPA and uh, yeah, the tax code is just insane, man. It's, it's too much, man. It is. I love my CPA. 
All right, Lance, let's go ahead and get into the hops showdown portion of the pod. I'm going to start us off here with Attaboy. Attaboy Beer out of Frederick, Maryland. This was Boss of the World, a double New England hazy IPA, and uh, right up my alley, man. Uh, So definitely tasted some, like, orange notes, it was a solid 7.7 alcohol by volume. Oh man. And it was it was a tall boy. So it it was it was solid. Um tasted <laughs> a little bit of maybe maybe like a little bit of mango but more of an orange flavor, but not overpowering orange cuz I don't like orange. I don't like wow. overpowering orange. Um this was good. Um gosh, I don't know. Hazy's I, they all get high scores. Uh, probably this this is probably like a ninety-one for me. Wow, ninety-one. Um, dang. All right, I was I was sipping on the Shipyard Brewing Company Pumpkin Head. I mean, completely amazing artwork here with the uh, the guy riding on the horse on the statue, and he's got a pumpkin head, and he's holding a beer. It's pretty sweet. Um, I, I'm surprised by this one. It's only a 4.5% alcohol by volume. It's, it's definitely lighter. I kind of liked it. It was just very like, it's a cl- more clear on the pour. It's got that orange kind of tint to it. Uh, nutmeg and cinnamon. In addition to the pumpkin flavors, I was really getting a lot of nutmeg and could, and could taste some cinnamon as well. Um, man, it was just like, I, I, it's like fall in a bottle and I know it's February, but like, it's just, it's so good. I like that it's like it's light. So good. I like that it's light. You, you can, can have more than man. one. It's just four point five. Four point five is a great level for just a sipping beer. You can have a couple of them, and 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 you're gonna feel great. Um, I I I love this beer, and it's it's one of my favorite pumpkin beers, and I like pumpkin beers, so I'm biased. It's a ninety three, man. I'm sorry, it's a ninety three. It's a shipyard taking it down with pumpkin All head. Right. I gotta, I gotta try it because I, I got a thing about pumpkin beers. You know, I, I feel like most of them aren't very good. I think you'd like this one. That's it's, where I'm at. Up your alley. Yeah. I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try it. Ninety three. Yep. You've convinced me. All right, Lance. Let's leave everybody with our action step. We are living in inflation nation right now. Inflation nation. Make sure you're keeping your assets invested to combat this inflation. Every dollar that's sitting in a savings account is eroding your ability to fight inflation. Keep short-term money in cash and invest your long-term money in assets like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and businesses to ensure that your buying power isn't being eroded. This is Lance. This is Scott. Live and give on lesson you make and invest the difference. Beat inflation. Dollars and hops out. I feel like you're hating at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just keep going. You're all right.